0: from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife. So they were both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood... By his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Chemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Tebah, Geham, Tahash, and Makah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. I think you've had the toughest name so far in the Genesis series. Well done. <laughs> I added Larry, Moe, and Curly. <laughs> she said, I almost added Larry, Mo, and Curly. Thanks, Leslie. That's a tough passage to read. Well, uh, I mean, I didn't, you know, if you caught it in there, but everybody's cutting wood this week. Abraham's cutting wood. We're all chopping wood this week. We need a little humor at the beginning of a story like uh, this one, which is shocking, as it should be, as it's meant to be. Maybe it's unbelievable to you. Uh, Maybe you struggle with it and saying, this sounds ridiculous that God would even ask this. Those are all normal questions probably to be asking at the beginning of a story like this because it is so uncharacteristic. We just talked about the Isaac blessing, didn't we? The Isaac project two weeks back, and now this? You ever felt that something was so certain to happen and then felt the sudden shock when it didn't? You were just so certain. Maybe it was a promotion you thought was yours. But it wasn't. Maybe it was a letter you were expecting to come in the mail. Never did. Maybe it was an apology you just knew was coming, but never received. Maybe it was the certain miracle you were told you would have, and then it didn't come to pass. Maybe it was just a simple, I love you. You were expecting and thought would come. You were were so certain you were going to hear it, and it didn't happen. Or have you ever lost something, maybe not expected something, but you ever lost something you actually already had? You felt so certain you had a firm grasp on, relationship, a job, a person, a home, your reputation, your health. Each and every one of us at some time has experienced some disappointing loss of something wonderful in our life. If you've lived more than a few years or at least got into adulthood, you've experienced it. In our text today, it's an excruciating turn of events. Abraham and Sarah are asked to give up their Isaac blessing. The blessing he had been promised. The blessing he now had held, to for 15 years, as Isaac's about 15 now. And now God was asking them to give him up? Remember how we got here? Do you remember? How we got to this point? Over the years, the great promise was repeated over and over and over again to Abraham and Sarah. It began when he was called out of Ur, the pagan, child-sacrificing culture, when God said this to him, I, And I will make a great nation of you, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It was promised again in Canaan, where the land was promised to his offspring, When God asked him to look north and south and east and west, and all that his eye could see would go to his heir. It was promised when he looked up at the stars. Do you remember that? And he was told his offspring would outnumber the stars. It was promised in that unilateral covenant. Remember that? Where God passed through the cut-up animals, not asking Abraham to go through them, symbolically saying, if I don't come through for you, Abraham... Cut me in two. Like those animals. It was promised again at the covenant of circumcision. You'll be fruitful, Abraham, and kings and, and nations will come from you, Abraham. And then it was promised specifically that Sarah would be the one who would give birth to the child. It was promised on multiple occasions. And then it finally happened. That's how we got here. After all those promises, in this miraculous turn of events, a 90-year-old woman gave birth to, to the laughter baby, Isaac. They held him. They nursed him. They cared for him. They changed him. They disciplined him. They raised him. They fed him until he was this teenage boy. Abraham probably could remember feeling, uh, feeling him kick in Sarah's swollen belly. And after so much laughter and the long-fulfilled promise now could God really be testing Abraham by asking him to now sacrifice Isaac? In the midst of this obvious emotional turmoil, we see this father exercise an otherworldly faith by surrendering the one who meant the most to him and the one he'd been guaranteed to have. The question is maybe, could the test have been more for the benefit of Abraham, and us, and for God. So let's find out today. Hopefully you've got your outline there and your Bibles open to Genesis 22 as we're going to walk through three chapters of this story today. Here's our first one. It's God tests and grows faith by asking us to surrender, sometimes, many times, not all the time, but sometimes surrender what matters most. Moses, who was the writer we know of Genesis, lets the reader in on a piece of news, lets us in on a piece of news that Abraham did not have. Much like Job, you might be familiar with that story, much like Job, Abraham doesn't know this is a test of his faith. We know that because the writer put it in there, but he doesn't know that. And so for us, at least when we come to the story, I think Moses put it there to Uh, soften the shock a little bit of what's going on like this is a test okay this is a test here's what God said but imagine the shock at Abraham hearing these words wait God I I know you to be good I know you to be faithful you've been to me so many years I mean put yourself in that story or other things in your life you might be saying the same thing and you've promised me this thing God with Abraham it was a son What are you doing, God? What are you asking? Isaac was the one whom on all redemptive history was hanging. On this son. All redemptive history. It's all invested in my one child, God, and and now you want me to sacrifice him? Has God gone from a friend to an enemy in this story? Has he gone back on his promises God, you've said this to me more than 20 times, because I needed to hear it 20 times, but you said it nevertheless. You promised this good thing. These thoughts had to be going through Abraham's mind. They had to. And while we see him exercise a great faith today, we don't want to gloss over this. We don't want to pretend that Abraham just kind of Callously obeyed. You got it, God. You know, eh, no problem. Or was like just stoic, a strong man of faith, and didn't struggle excruciatingly in his heart with this request. He was a real human. He had to. No, the test and response they only mean so much because the ask was so big, and it would have caused great strain and suffering for Abraham. Imagine if the story read this. Not such a big ask. Hey, Abraham, I I want you to head to the mountain and build an altar. And on that altar, I want you to sacrifice your little toe, Abraham. Yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, I've already given you my foreskin, God. I can handle my toe, you know. Now, God makes it clear here, though. It's not your little toe. Take your son. Did you see the words? Your only son, Abraham. The son you love. It's almost like God is just driving it in. And offer him. With each word that God says in that verse, the commandments become probably more painful for Abraham. Your son, your only son, the one you love, him. What it would mean would be cutting his throat and burning his body. If we put it graphically, the son he loved, his only son. I know it's hard to even hear this story. And I know it's unpleasant for us. But true growth requires testing. Those of us who have been through great trials, maybe you have, where God asks you to let go of something that mattered most to you, you know this. You know this. You've been there. You know that time you felt so stretched to the limit. Maybe it's today. You felt so stretched to the limit where you, you, were, you, you felt you would break. But by the grace of God, you held on tight. And in the recovery, you realize how deep, uh, deeper your trust in God has grown. Which then leads and maybe led at that time to greater obedience in a cycle of of, of painful but real growth. God isn't tempting Abraham here. He's testing. He isn't tempting Abraham. He doesn't want Abraham to sin. He doesn't want Abraham to disobey. He clearly is not a God who takes pleasure in human sacrifice. He isn't being punished. God is asking, do you trust me? you trust me and of course god in his omniscience he not only knows the test god knows the outcome god knows what abraham will do he knows what abraham will choose to do and so this test about it is actually about abraham sacrificing himself more than anything and To trusts god even as much as it's about actually the sacrifice of isaac One commentator said this, the gap was being filled up in Abraham's faith, not in God's understanding of Abraham. Abraham, do you trust me? Here's a test. And when we're tested like this, if you've ever been, our temptation is to distrust God's character. Isn't that the very thing we saw? We've seen it over and over again at the beginning of Genesis. Are you sure God really said that? Are you sure God really has your best interest in mind? Maybe that's you today as you hear this story. Maybe God is testing you even with the reality of this story. That's our God? What? Do you trust me? You you know who God says he is, but why, why has he placed you in this circumstance of all circumstances? Why has he taken away from me what it mattered most to me? Or corporate, corporately as a church, what has he taken or maybe taking away from us? Do you trust God enough? So that if all you were left with at the end was him. Would that be enough? That's a big question to ask. Let me ask it again. If you came to a place in your life where all you were left with at the end was him, would that be enough for you? So let's look at Abraham again. Let's look to see in, the, in this second section that faithful acts of obedience, where they require us to trust, they do. But trust what? That God will provide when we surrender in worship. Well, we look at him now after this interaction with God and he's been challenged and tested here we see what looks like immediate obedience. And he just gets up, let's go. Let's do this. We're going to go to this mountain. He gets up, let's go. I mean, maybe that was because he had three days to think about it. He knew that. On the journey to Mount Moriah. And maybe he thought, you know, along the way, God has got to change his mind. I've got three days. Maybe that's why he jumped right to it and obeyed right away. But he's definitely stunned. Even in the details of the story, Who saddles the donkey way before you cut the wood? It's just out of order. Maybe that's Moses letting us know his mind was just not thinking clearly here. So he prepares by bringing in the necessary materials. He gets ready, and he goes on this three-day journey. And my guess is with each step on this journey, his dread increased. How could it not? One step closer to Isaac's death... And one more step closer, and one more step closer, and one day closer, and now two days closer, and God hasn't spoken up yet? Come on, God. When I was in my early 20s, my brother and I lived with my dad, and we had this cat who was named uh, Indy. Now, I'm not a cat guy. I'm more of a dog guy, Uh, but this cat, he was one of a kind. Now, we all say that about our own animals, but this one really was. Um... He was like one of a kind. He was this giant, I mean giant fat cat, black cat, all black. Uh, and he, he, as cats aren't usually like this, he loved to be held, almost like a lap dog. It, it, and actually, he was so big, it was more like holding a frozen turkey when you had him in your hand. He was so big. <laughs> it was just massive. And he was so fat that when he would walk over to have you pet him, he didn't know how to lie down. He just basically fell to the floor. He just flopped down on the floor. And he was quirky too. This he, he, is not like a normal cat. And maybe, I don't know if some of you guys ever did this, but he loved to go up on the bathroom counter and, and go to the, the bathroom sink and he'd just sit under it with his head until he finally re- realized he wanted us to turn the water on him. He just did it forever. And when finally we turned the water on, he would just sit there and let the water drain over his head. We thought it was more because he had no brain, but I mean he was just this weird cat. He would sit there and let the water just, just like uh, go over his head. I told you he was kind of more like a dog than your standard cat. And that's probably why we loved him so much. He was just quirky. Well, one day I came home to the house and nobody was there. It was empty and I opened. had come home from work. I think it was on an afternoon. And, and Indy wasn't at the door to greet me. I remember I said he's more like a, a dog than a cat. He would greet us at the door every day when he come home. But this day when I came in, I heard this kind of strange meow from my dad's room. I could just tell by that, 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 that meow that something was wrong. As I went into the room, uh, Indy was lying on the ground trying to walk towards me, except he was only using his front legs. His back legs were basically dead. He was dragging himself across the floor with his front paws. He had a major blood clot, I think, that had gone and lodged in his back and paralyzed his back legs. And we knew this was this at was the end. And I tell you, I could not, I couldn't be the one to take him to the vet to have him put down. I couldn't do it. I told my dad and my brother, I said, I, I just can't, I can't go. I didn't want to go. I couldn't drive him to his death, even though it was only 15-minute drive. And it was just my cat. That's just my cat. Now imagine the turmoil Abraham is in. Walking his boy for three days to his death. You get a little sense, don't you? It's so hard to imagine. Not only because God is asking him to give up something good, it also seems to go against the character of God. but it's also hard for us even to imagine giving up lesser things. Why? We don't like to submit. And that's what this passage is about, really. If we were to boil it down to a big idea, it's submissive obedience to another. That's really the big idea of this entire passage. Submitting to another. The things that we might deem really valuable. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think of how much of life is about submitting. We're asked first primarily to submit to God, submit to our spouses, submit to the elders in our local church, submit in some ways to our employer, submit to our finite bodies and their limitations, submit to the law of the land, submit to God's word. The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? But how many of us like to submit? Our wills, our egos, our idols, our opinions, our self-assertion, our preferences, our right to get revenge, in each one of these little relational places, we're called to submit. And that is why Abraham's act is an act of worship, because he knew the promises, he knew God's character, and he still submitted and acted on God's word even though he must have been terribly confused. Knowing that God would provide, he's trusting God. I know God's going to provide. In some way, God is going to provide. and he may have not have known how. He, he couldn't have in some ways, but God would provide when he surrendered to his word. That's the big idea here. We see this in Abraham's words. Genesis 22, 4, and 5 on the screen. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. They finally got there. Then Abraham said to his young men, the servants that went with him, You stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Do you see what he's saying there? He says, I and the boy will go and worship, and I and the boy will return. How's that possible? He knew what he was going to be asked to do. I think he's sincere here, and so did the writer of Hebrews who said, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was, in fact, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. It's pretty astounding. There wasn't even really a doctrine of the resurrection of the body at this time. Uh, in God's progressive revelation, the depth of healthy fear of God here, and trust in God, this this man must have had to even keep taking one more step. In this, in this story. Let alone raise the knife in his hand. It's so hard to imagine that he trusted so deeply, and yes, in the middle of excruciating pain, but so deeply that he knew on some level uh, God would raise Isaac if he took his life. It's incredible. Nevertheless, he places the wood on Isaac's back for the long walk up Mount Moriah. Now we begin to get a picture of another son who walked up a mountain with wood on his back as well. Do you know who I'm referring to? The wood of a cross. John 19:17. he went out bearing his own wood, his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. In the quiet of that day, as the father carries the implements of death, and Isaac carries the wood on his back, out of the tense silence as they walked up the hill, and Isaac walked like a lamb being led silent to the slaughter, Isaac begins to be confused. Dad! Dad! Dad, where's, to, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? We, we've got wood to make a fire. I can feel it. I'm carrying it. But what are we going to burn? Oh, the grief in Abraham's heart in that moment. And Abraham answered, look at verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What's Abraham saying there? Now, is Abraham saying, my son, God will provide a lamb for us? Or if you take out that comma there, is he saying, God will provide a lamb? You, my son. How much a comma matters in a sentence? That means a lot to Isaac right there, that little comma. Now, even if it's the former, meaning God will provide a lamb, and Abraham might have thought that and knew that, time ran out, didn't it? He's tied him, he's put him there, he's put him on the altar, and time runs out as he's bound there in front of him, which also means Isaac was also cooperative. He was much stronger than his old father. Incredibly, he must have been cooperative, and maybe the father's faith in some way had been passed on to the son. Maybe both of them got to the place John Calvin thought when he said this, in such straits the only remedy is to leave the event to god leave it to god in order that he may open a way for us when there is none we pay him the highest honor he went on when in affairs of perplexity was there anything more perplexing than this no we nevertheless entirely acquiesce to his providence how do you get there how do you get to that place so Isaac stares up at his father, and Abraham looks down on his only son, and he takes the knife in his hand, and he raises it up over his son's neck, ready in obedience, here we go, and he hears, Abraham, Abraham, and he responds, here I am, the third time in this story he's been immediately available, here I am, here I am, here I am. And so God, in our final point today, ultimately intervenes and provides for his people. That's what we want to see. That's where our hope is today. Is that the same God that provided for Abraham provides for us today. Look at verse um, 12 and 13 with me after you finish the fill-in. God responded to him. He said, Imagine the turn, the quick turn of events there, and the joy that would have filled Abraham's heart in that moment. God would take no pleasure in him harming his boy. But he did take pleasure in the fact that Abraham so trusted God that he would move in action to submit that which had been promised to him, that which mattered dearly, even though it seemed absolutely impossible. And God provided. He lifted up his eyes and there was the lamb they needed, already caught, unable to move in a thicket. And this lamb took Isaac's place. And Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. It's actually the very mountain that the temple would end up being built on. Isn't that interesting? God intervenes with a provided sacrifice, and then goes on to provide a a reaffirmation of the promises, and he he swears by his own name that God will bless him through obedience. Obedience matters. One of our greatest fears as human beings is to give things up. To let them go to hold them with open palms, to submit. Because when I submit, I give up what? Control. Control. And control, or at least the illusion of control we like to tell ourselves we actually have, is what we want. To give up those things we put value on or our reputation on or our individuality on. Or our self reliance on, our autonomous will on. We don't like to give things up, do we? We just don't. Especially when it puts us in a posture of weakness or makes us look dependent, needy. Think of how many of us had to practice that this week. Hey, I love going to help somebody get rid of some limbs and trees in their lawn from their yard. But do I like to say, hey, I need help over at my house too? No. (laughs) Do you? We don't like to look submissive, dependent, in need, weak, indebted to anyone, let alone to God our Maker. That's why so many of us love to be the first to give help, but you better believe we'll be the last to ask for it or receive it ourselves. Isn't that true? but this is exactly where God has put Abraham. Exactly where he wanted him. This is where God wants you and I. Not to be passive or just uh, I- unable or, or, or weak in the sense of just not trying ever. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. But he wants us to depend on him, to trust him. That's the heart of worshiping him. To fear the Lord is to value his word and compliance with it no matter the cost. So how do you know? How do you know when you're holding on to something too tight that God wants you to submit to him in obedience? Well, there's some diagnostic questions to ask yourself. Here's a couple of them. You can jot them down or even think of them later. What makes you most irritated right now? (laughs) What makes you most irritated right now? Maybe the irritation comes from something that you hold too dearly and it's being threatened. Here's Here's another one. Kind of like irritation, but what causes you to get angry quickly? What causes you to get angry quickly? It's, It's whatever you're defending in that moment that's feeling threatened that might be something God is asking you to just lessen the grip on a little bit. Just flat out ask yourself or maybe ask the Lord to show you. Where do you find the most trouble submitting either to God or to the appropriate relationships God has put in your life and asked you to submit to? That, the answer might be the thing right there. So how can we give up these things? How can we obey when it seems impossible? Impossible. I mean, Some of us in future years might be asked to make decisions, and this is, this is the reality. You might be asked to make decisions in the coming years that might cost you your job. Are you willing? We need to have a good theology of getting fired. We don't in the church. <laughs> or the assurance and trust at least that our brothers and sisters have our back and so does God when we do. How can we do this? How can we see our lives transformed in obedience and sacrifice? We've got to see, here it is, that God has already provided for our deepest need. Your deepest need. was some 2,000 years later, this wild, crazy man out in the desert pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See. Lift up your eyes. Look and see the Lamb that God has provided. A Lamb without blemish. There was another day, wasn't there? There was another day when a son, an only son, a lamb that was led by his father too, to climb another mountain, maybe even the same one. He too was loved. He too carried wood on his back. He too trusted his father as he was strapped to the wood. And when the father lifted the knife over his head, this time, no one stayed his hand. No one stopped him. The knife came plunging down into the heart of his own son. For God so loved the world, you know this, that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have your deepest need, eternal life. I don't know exactly why God asks some of us to surrender our Isaac blessings at times, things that matter most to us, sometimes in ways that seem untimely. Why now, God? But I knew it can't be because he doesn't love us. He provided for us by giving us his only son. You see, Isaac was only a type of Christ up to a point. The lamb in the bush was the type. He took Isaac's place. Jesus takes your place. Jesus stands condemned where we should have stood. Jesus did the ultimate submitting. Who else submitted more than that? And If it was good for the Son of God, how could it not be good for us? by paying the price for our sin when he was strapped to that wood. And without him, without him, each and every one of us would end up in Isaac strapped to the table of eternity. Without him. But we have him, don't we? You have him if you trust him today. So how can we be willing to obey in sacrificial living, not always get our own way? not always need to be right or recognized or willing to give when it hurts even, willing to still follow and obey when it looks counterproductive or counterintuitive as it must have been to Abraham we look at the elements again today and what they represent for us that's what this feast is all about the gospel that's what it's all about He really can ask you to give up anything because He gave up everything for you. Everything. As we take these elements, let's think about that. And if it hurt for me to give up my cat, how much more did it hurt for Abraham to give up his own son? How much more did it hurt in the heart of the Trinity? The eternal, perfect relationship to be broken for a time. And you know you can trust him and let it go because he's provided already for our eternal, deepest need. And he will provide for your daily needs. And you know, too, any test is not punishment, he's the one who took our punishment. Any test is not just to make you suffer, he's the one who infinitely suffered. Any test is to stretch you, grow your faith grow you in obedience and show you actually on the back side of that test the genuineness of the faith you have deep in your soul. That's what a test is for. Peter said it well, and this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, or ice, I guess, (laughs) may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all those acts of obedience will ring out in praise. Praise the Lamb who was slain in your place. Take a moment or two. Take a moment today and think on the way that Jesus Christ has taken your place as that Lamb took Isaac's place that he's provided for your deepest needs. Spend some time in repentance. Spend some time bringing to him your fears of this week or what this week re- revealed to you that maybe you're holding a little too tightly to even as we prepare our hearts to take. If you haven't trusted Christ yet, even if you've been given one of these today, I encourage you, just leave it on the, the chair. It's not to exclude you, but it doesn't make much sense for you to partake of a family meal that if you weren't able today to call yourself part of God's family. You can today, but if you know you don't, just let the family meal pass and spend some time in prayer. Nobody's going to be looking to judge you and see who's taking and who isn't. But all of us, at least, take a couple minutes with the Lord. There's two tabs on your elements. The top one will allow you access to the bread. Bottom one, the juice, if you want to prepare them now in this moment. If you're at home, hopefully you've been able to get some as well. When they came to the place of which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on top of the altar on the wood. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy. Do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. Lift up your eyes today. And he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. This bread here represents the lamb caught in the thicket by thorns, Jesus Christ, who did get slaughtered for you. Let's take Would you take your cup and would you stand with me? And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw that ram but then he took it and he the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Jesus Christ too was offered up. And if God was willing to offer up his son for your deepest need, Would he not give you everything else? Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? The blood of this second covenant, this new covenant, is proof of that. And Christ resurrected to say, this blood makes a guarantee for you and I. That there was a ram that took your place name is Jesus Christ. His blood shed is for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's take now with that assurance that you are good with God. Let's take. Will you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost.